And what a marvelous message in that song. He is God and he is on his throne. Well, the divinity of Jesus has long been questioned by some, but it's of interest to me that even those who have questioned the deity of Christ have generally agreed that he was a master teacher. I suppose that even though they reject the message of his deity, they respect the method of his teaching. And Jesus was a master teacher in part because he used parables. In Matthew chapter 13, it is a chapter of parables. And in that, he tells a story about a farmer who had gone out to sow some seed. And he sowed the seed. Some of it took root and produced fruit. Some of it did not. The message from that parable was that we sow the seed, the gospel of Christ. There are some who accept it and there are some who reject it. He also told the parable of the mustard seed, and we are familiar with that. He told the parable of the wheat and tares, and the message from the wheat and tares is that not everyone who appears to be a Christian is. Not everyone who looks like a Christian truly knows the Lord. So he taught by parables. He also taught the disciples by the experiences they had. And probably the best teacher is that of experience. I remember graduating from high school and that summer I raked hay, hauled hay, which is the hardest work I ever did in my life. I went on the wheat harvest, but as a result of that experience, I decided I was not going to be a farmer. Now, I had grown up on a farm, but I decided I wasn't going to be a farmer. I guess I was a little bit like the farmer who was out in the field behind his mule and he's looking up to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, this field is so grassy, the sun is so hot, and this mule is so stubborn, I do believe you've called me to preach. (laughs) Well, that took a while, but I knew that I wasn't going to be a farmer. Well, today we're going to learn a lesson from the storm, so take your Bibles Turn with me to Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse number 22. And immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And after he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already many steady away from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. 
And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. Well, there are some lessons that I want you to learn with the disciples from this passage of Scripture. The first being that yesterday's miracles are insufficient for today's needs. Now, probably most of us think that if I ever saw a miracle, I would never doubt again. If I saw the Lord raise up someone who was truly ill, miraculously, I would never doubt again. Or if I heard the voice of God audibly, then I would never doubt again. Or if God did something like to raise a person from the dead, then I would never doubt again. But the truth is, miracles do not normally produce a mature faith. Now, as I look at this passage of Scripture, the disciples are our example. I want you to understand that immediately prior to this experience, they had witnessed a miracle. The people had gathered to hear Jesus speak. And then after a while, they became hungry, and Jesus said to the disciples, you need to feed them, they are famished. And the disciples said, well, what are we going to feed them? Jesus said, well, what do you have? They took inventory. After they took inventory, they came back and said, well, all we have is five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus took the five loaves of bread and two fish and fed the multitude, and there was food left over. So they had just witnessed this miracle earlier. And now then they are in this storm, and they are doubting the Lord. In Mark chapter 6, verse 52, the Bible says they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. So what I want you to see with the disciples is that they had seen a miracle, and yet they doubted. We see that repeatedly in the Old Testament concerning the Hebrews. They had so many miracles that they witnessed. For instance, when they were in Egyptian bondage, they cried out to the Lord and asked the Lord for deliverance and God sent the plagues, all of these miracles that he sent. They witnessed those miracles, the plagues that, that forced Pharaoh to release them. And then they came to the Red Sea. When they looked, they saw the Egyptian army behind them, the Red Sea that was in front of them. And the Bible says that God parted the Red Sea. They walked across on dry land. And then the Egyptian army followed them into the Red Sea. And the Bible says the waters came back and drowned the Egyptian army. I remember years ago hearing about a professor who was speaking of that miracle and said, well, actually in that place, it really wasn't a miracle because the water was only two feet deep. There was a seminarian there who said, man, it's even a greater miracle than I thought. And the professor said, what do you mean it's a greater miracle? I just told you the water was only two feet deep. He said, yeah, but the entire Egyptian army drowned in two feet of water. <laughs> so they, they saw the miracle. They saw the parting of the Red Sea. The Lord protected them. The Lord provided for them. When they were in the wilderness and they needed food, he provided quail for them to eat. He provided water for them to drink. He provided manna for them to eat. And yet they constantly doubted the Lord. 
They saw those miracles, but they continued to doubt. And the scripture says in Exodus 14, 11, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? After they had seen all of those miracles, they had enjoyed manna. They had witnessed the parting of the Red Sea. And then they said, did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? You see, they saw the miracles and yet they still doubted. Would we really believe if we saw a miracle? Would you really believe if you were to see a miracle? Granted, much of what we call miracles today is not miracles. I I hear people all the time saying, well, so-and-so, it was a miracle. Well, it really wasn't, not in the scriptural sense. In fact, Vines defines a miracle as dunamis, which is the word. Power, inherent ability is used of works of a supernatural origin and character such as could not be produced by natural agents and means. So a miracle then is something that cannot be explained naturally. It is something that is supernatural. Now, I I believe that I've seen a miracle. Of course, there's a miracle of salvation and those things, but I believe that I have seen a miracle when my son was born. And uh, he was diagnosed in need of surgery. And so we had the surgery scheduled. I still remember praying for him because Linda and I had just gone into ministry. And so this is a, we're pastoring a little church. I'd left working in television and, and with that, I don't have any insurance. And then Eric was just so small. And I remember going to my office and falling on my knees and praying and said, Lord, I'm asking that you heal him. That, uh, you know, he is so little and, and, uh, we don't have insurance. We don't have any money. We were making $100 a week. And so we don't have anything. We, got, we took him to the hospital and they examined him. And the doctor came back and said, uh, he doesn't need surgery. Now, I believe that that was a miracle from God. So I think that I have seen miracles. But then there are those other times when I remember that uh, we were starting out and, and we didn't have any money for food and my daughter was out in the backyard and a $20 bill was blowing by and she picked it up and brought it in and we went to the grocery store and bought groceries because we didn't have any. Now, I don't know that that was a miracle, but it was the provision of God. I, I remember so many times in my life and in my ministry where the Lord has provided. Perhaps at times it was miraculous. A lot of times it was provision. But here's my point is that even though I have seen what I believe to be a miracle, even though I have been the beneficiary of God's provision in my life, it has not totally overcome some of the doubts I struggle with today. I I still have those struggles in my faith. Even though I have seen some of these things and the Lord has been faithful to me, in other times I still struggle after having seen those things. You see, here's the thing. The weakness of having faith in miracles rather than in God is that we have a tendency then to live in past experiences. For instance, I know of so many churches 
And when you get around them, they talk about all the, you know, the good old days. You know, the Lord did so and so. And I remember when we prayed and God did this and the Lord provided for that. Now, I listen to them sometimes when they're talking about the good old days and the provision of God while they're dying today. I mean, I don't see any faith in them today. They're just talking about the good old days. And how the Lord used to provide. So my question then for you is not so much about what did God do in your life yesterday. But my question would be more along the lines of what is God doing in your life today? What's he doing today? Because we cannot live on yesterday's experiences and miracles. It must be fresh every day. Every day. The miracles of yesterday are not sufficient for your needs today. The second lesson I learned here is that obedience to God does not exempt us from storms, which is the fallacy of the prosperity gospel. There are those who tell us that if you live in faith, if you trust in the Lord, then it is going to be, uh, you're going to be prosperous, you're going to be healthy, you're going to have all of those things. Well, the truth is we can be faithful to the Lord and still go through the storms of life. Now, the disciples were obedient to the Lord in verse number 22, and immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him him to the other side while he sent the multitude away. Now, apparently the disciples were reluctant to get in the boat because the Bible says that he made them. He compelled them to get into the boat. Well, why? Why were they hesitant to get in the boat? Well, Barclay wrote, At first sight, the word compel sounds strange. But if we turn to John's account of the incident, we will most likely find the explanation. John tells us that after the feeding of the multitude, the crowd wished to come and to make him a king by force. It was a dangerous situation, and the disciples might well have complicated it, for they too We're still thinking of Jesus in terms of earthly power. So it could be that the disciples joined with the crowd and said, yes, you need to be the king. But that wasn't the time. That was not the the destiny of Jesus at that time. He was going to the cross. He was not going to become king at that point. So it could be that they joined with the crowd, not wanting to get in the boat and go with Jesus, but let's stay right here and make him king. But they nevertheless obeyed the Lord. And then there was a storm, verse number 24. But the boat was already many stadia away from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, even though they were obedient, there was the storm, and the storm always raises questions when we're being obedient. The scripture says in Mark 4:38, and he, he himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we are in the midst of a storm? Jesus, don't you care as to what's happening to us? Look, we're in this boat because you told us to get in the boat. We were obedient to you. We didn't want to get in the boat, but we were obedient to you. And now we have this storm. Ladies and gentlemen, the fact is, Obedience to the Lord does not exempt you from the storms of life. The Apostle Paul was always pressing towards the mark, committed to the Lord. But when I look at his life in 2 Corinthians 11, he says that he was beaten, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked. And then he was executed because of his faith in the Lord. 
He went through the storms. Even though he was obedient to the Lord, there was still the storm. Look at Jesus. Jesus was obedient to the Father. There in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, he struggled. And he said, Father, not my will, but thine be done. The Bible says that it was a struggle for him. As he's facing the cross, there was a struggle that he was facing, but he was obedient to the Father. And yet the scripture tells us that he was beaten, he was slapped, he was spat upon, and he was crucified. He he was obedient to the Father's will, but he suffered the storm. Obedience does not exempt us from storms. There are some of you who are faithful tithers because you believe in God's word. And yet you're facing financial challenges. I don't know how all that works. I really don't. Because I believe that the Lord provides for us. I really do believe that. But I know that there are some of you who are faithful tithers who have some real financial challenges in your life. I know that there are some of you who love the Lord with all your heart. I mean, you really love the Lord. And some of your faces come to my mind. You love the Lord, but you're suffering from cancer. You're suffering from heart disease. You're suffering from illness. You love the Lord, but you're not exempt from the storms. Financially, physically, there's some of you parents who've done the best you know how. To raise your children to love the Lord and be committed to the Lord. But they don't. They don't. And it's a struggle for you. That used to be a real uh, bother to me. I was reading in Ezekiel 18 once. And it tells a story about a good man who had a bad son. And it tells about a bad man who had a good son. And the message of that chapter is that we all are responsible for ourselves as individuals. And ladies and gentlemen, you should do everything that you can to bring your children up to know the Lord and love the Lord and serve the Lord. You really need to make that priority in your life. But they are still going to make the decision in their lives as to whether or not they are going to serve the Lord. So the second lesson I learned there is that obedience to God does not exempt us from storms. You're going to face storms in life. So what are the lessons then that we can learn? In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 13, Paul wrote, God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. Now then, as I understand that verse of Scripture, when you are going through the storms in life, God will do one of two things. He will make a way for you to escape it or he will enable you to endure it. Now, he will do one of the two. He is going to allow you to escape what you're going through or he will give you the strength that is necessary to go through what you're going through. So the lessons then that we learn from this storm is that Jesus is present during the storms. Now look at verse number 25. And in the fourth watch of the night he came to them Walking on the sea. Isn't that good? They are out in the middle of the sea in this storm, fearful for their lives. And the Bible says that in the midst of the storm that Jesus came to them. 
Now, not only did he come to them, but he came to them with encouragement in verse number 26. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, It is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. So Jesus is present during the storm. He was present there with the disciples. They are in the midst of the storm. He comes to them to encourage them. And my dear friend, if you are a child of God, I want you to understand, even if you're going through a storm in your life, the Lord's with you. Because he's promised he would never leave you. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And if you're going through a storm in life, understand the presence of the Lord because he is with his children. Another thing I notice here is that he gives us victory over the storms. In verse number 28, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. So there's Simon Peter walking on the storm. Peter gets a lot. I've said this before. I like Simon Peter. I identify with him in a lot of ways. He was always sticking his foot in his mouth. He, he oftentimes spoke before his brain was engaged, and I can, I can identify with all that. I have that same tendency. There's no people criticizing him. They criticized Peter because he walked on water, got his eyes off Jesus, and began to say. But my point is, is that he walked further than the rest of them, so I'm going to give him some credit. You see, here's the thing. Storms don't come to sink you. They come to give you something to walk on. So the Lord sent the storm or allowed the storm and Simon Peter's walking on the storm. Something else I learned is that storms are not to determine the direction. In verse number 22, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. The other side. Now that was their destiny. And even though there was a storm, that continued to be their destiny. We're going to the other side. That's a good word for the church of the Lord. The storm should never determine the direction of the church. The economy, now I'll confess to you that, you know, that's an area where I struggle a little bit because the economy is really soft. That's really a... That's really an area. So I'm, I'm not suggesting at all that we, are, uh, that we are not wise in decisions that we make. We need to be aware of the conditions of the economy. So I'm not saying that. But I am saying that the economy, listen, the economy should not determine the direction of First Baptist Church. And it can if we let it. It it is not the economy that determines our future. It's you. And it's the Lord through you. So the economy does not determine the direction of the church. Doubters should never determine the direction of the church. There are always those who think you're not going to make it to the other side. So you don't let the doubters determine the direction of the church. You don't let the little thinkers determine the direction of the church. Isn't it interesting that in so many of our churches that we allow those with the least amount of faith to determine the direction of the church? We should never do that. We should look to the people of faith and they should be the ones to lead. So storms are not to determine our direction. Another thing is that God is strong when our faith is weak. In verse number 30, 
But seeing the wind, he became afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out and said, Lord, save me. All right, so his faith is failing there. He gets his focus off of Jesus. He gets them on the waves. And then look down at verse number 31. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, took hold of him, said to him, Oh, you little faith, why did you doubt when they got in the boat? The wind stopped. His faith was weak, but Jesus was strong. Aren't you glad? My faith many times is weak, but my Lord is strong. So God is strong when our faith is weak, and then storms deepen our faith in verse number 33. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. You are certainly God's son. Their faith was deepened. Job uh, suffered. He went through all that he went through, the storms that he went through. And he said, "Uh, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Even though he had gone through the storm, even though he had gone through the difficulties, he said, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. His faith was deepened. The storm that you're going through, my friend, whatever the storm is that you're experiencing today, whatever your storm, God wants to use it in your life to deepen your faith in him. And as you walk with him, he is going to deepen your faith in him. And then Jesus calms the storms. In verse number 32, when they got in the boat, the wind stopped. Now, he doesn't always do it on my timetable. I don't know about yours or not. But he doesn't always calm the storm when I want him to, but he calms the storms. The literal storm there on the Sea of Galilee, the emotional storms that you're going through, the spiritual storms that you're going through, if you look to him, he calms the storm And they came to the other side. Now, what was their assignment? Verse number 22. He made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. Verse number 34. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. They came to the other side. If you walk with him in faith, you will come to the other side of the storm. When Jesus said, we're going to the other side, they were going to the other side. Now, that does not mean they're not going to be storms on the way, but it does mean they're going to the other side. And that's exactly what happened. So let me conclude. What do we learn from this story? Yesterday's miracles are insufficient for today's needs. What's God doing in your life right now? If I were to ask you to give a testimony, many of you would tell me what God did in the past. What's he doing right now? Because the miracles of yesterday are not sufficient for today. God needs to be doing something in your life right now. Secondly, obedience does not exempt us from storms. You are going to face storms in life. But the good news, you will come to the other side. While we walk the pilgrim pathway, clouds will overspread the sky. But when traveling days are over, not a shadow, not a sign. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. My friends, some of you today are going through storms. I encourage you to put your eyes on Jesus and he'll see that you get to the other side. Our Father, we come to you at this time thanking you for this word of encouragement. And Lord, I just pray for those, those who are in the boat by themselves without the Lord fighting the storms. 
They're despairing. I pray, Heavenly Father, that today you might draw them unto yourself. And I pray, Heavenly Father, for those Christians that are fighting the storms, going through the storm without being surrounded by a loving church family, that today you would impress upon their heart that they need to be involved in a family of faith that will love them and encourage them and lift them up. Lord, I just pray that you'll bless this time of invitation in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a hymn of invitation, an opportunity for you to respond to the Lord. If you're here without Christ today, would you commit your life to him? We'll have staff members up here to pray with you. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you as a part of our family. Stand with me, please. As we stand, the choir sings. As they sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do.